0: Welcome into to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt premier and Eric Scopo on the show, as always. And on this Friday edition of the show, we've got a good one for you. We're going to talk a lot about some Oregon football recruiting. Uh, we're going to talk about college football as getting its video game back. Uh, I had a lot of memories playing that game. I'm sure Eric did as well. And then oh, yeah. we'll also dive into that 2021 recruiting class. And let's, Eric, let's start. With college football's video game, EA Sports announced this week that, hey, we're bringing this back. It's not been in in service since I think the the last version is 2014, which the 2015 version would have included – Probably Marcus Mariota as the cover boy, right? Or m- maybe him and Jameis Winston. We were robbed of that. I think. I don't think an Oregon player has been on the cover. Was Joey on the cover?
1: I think jo- Joey was on the cover. I remember That's Joey. Right. If, if he was on, he was on a cover at least out west. I don't know if they did like covers from different regions, but he, he I definitely had a video game. I think it was like 2001 with him on it.
0: But nonetheless, super exciting. Uh, I, I was, I I was and still am completely geeked out um about this and
1: i'm you played the game too right oh can we talk about how we how what we enjoy doing in the game i played a a lot of the game a a lot um so so i i didn't actually play the in-game stuff hardly at all i just basically recruited and built teams and like you
0: simulated through the season
1: I was assimilate like, through the season unless they played in the national championship, and then I would play that game. Probably lose because I didn't play. I didn't have any like warm up games getting used <laughs> to playing it, and then uh, ruin my team season. Or I would wise up and go, I shouldn't play this because I'm just going to lose anyway. Not that I was terrible at it. I my thing was I just like to uh to do the recruiting, to build the players up and like get them better, and then I would export the draft classes to the Madden game and then play. So I I basically. They used to do a, a thing where I can't remember if they did it in like the last couple, but you could build the recruit. So I would build like 10 recruits each cycle, try to recruit them to Oregon, where I was, which I was playing, and then play their careers at Oregon or if they went to other places. And then I would export the draft class and then put them into my Madden game where they would then play. So I would play them from high school through their NFL careers. And that was the way I would do it. And again, I'm playing like maybe five to six actual games per week but playing probably this is like in high school and college and playing probably like I don't know 15 hours a week (laughs) so (laughs) so that's how I played the game I'm sure you probably had a lot more fun playing the actual gameplay I was just a lot more of the uh, build the team up guy
0: well see I loved this is what made this game so awesome was the customization of it Mm -hmm. because you could you could direct your team any way you wanted with recruiting and I was like you I, I was a recruiting junkie um, I would have two, two different kind of eras I would I would run through. One would be just pure simulation because uh-huh. I wanted to do the recruiting, build building up the roster, skip the games, do the recruiting during the middle of the week, skip the game, do the, the recruiting, and so forth all the way through. And then I would play I would have another one where I would play the games too. And I think my fondest memory though is um, I, I played high school football. Uh, And I remember my senior year, the game always would come out in like middle of July and my birthday is on August 1st. And I would I would ruin my birthday every year, Uh, especially once I was able to ride a bike to a Walmart, a Target to buy the game, then eventually drive myself because I would go out on like July 17th, July 18th, 19th, kind of right. That's right around the time the game would come out. I would go out immediately and buy it for myself. And my family would get pissed at me. What are you doing? Your birthday's two weeks away. We were going to get that for you. <laughs> yeah, But I couldn't wait. I, wasn't, I was not going to wait two weeks uh, for the latest version of college football. And so my, my best memory, though, is as a senior in high school, um, I would get up probably around 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning. I would play one or two games uh, or do the recruiting. And then I would do a little bit of stretching. I, I would do, I have some breakfast. I would go to my first daily double practice. I would come home. I would ice up. And then I would do a lot more stretching after that. And while I'm icing and stretching, I would play the video game. I'd go get lunch. I'd look over my actual real playbook for a little bit and then play the game again until late afternoon. And then go to my second daily double practice, come home, do the same routine, eat or ice, stretch and then eat, and then read a little bit of my actual playbook. And then I would play the game all the way until the middle of the night. And it's like during the summertime when we had truly no responsibilities in life because we were (laughs) high school kids, Yeah, I would literally just play this game every single waking hour for about three weeks' time before school and and football really started. And that was probably like my favorite. I would run through like three seasons in that time span.
1: Oh, I I was going to say, I don't think there was a single video game that like – impacted my sleep more like I, I remember just playing and looking up and be like oh it's 4: 30 in the morning like what <laughs> what happened I, like I started playing at eight o'clock how did how did we get here and it's like oh well I'm gonna do one more it was always like oh I'll do one, one more more season, one more, one more one season. More. and a season took like an hour or two and so that decision yeah no that was fun man and uh, I I don't have a console currently but we'll have to maybe, I don't know, look into maybe trying to find somebody who's selling one for cheap to try to get involved in this if this comes back or when it comes back, it sounds like. But it sounds like they're not going to be able to use current rosters, right? You have to like input them.
0: Yeah, so they they, they gave I'm out sure. like some information and, and they've said no one in the game's not coming out for a couple of years. And so it feels like at best, maybe when it does come out like current freshmen. So like if if we want to like really tie it to Oregon, so like, Noah Sewell, he might be like a senior or a junior on that game, or Ty Thompson might be a junior or maybe maybe a sophomore uh, on that on that game when it comes out, and and really there, it, it really truly feels like. If you notice, too, EA Sports didn't say, hey, we're bringing back NCAA football. We're bringing back college football. They didn't attach themselves to the NCAA. And this is all because of – to kind of roll it into, you know, why it's relevant from a podcast perspective because we don't want to just sit here and talk about video games um, as much as we'd like to. It's tied into the name, image, and likeness. Like, I I truly believe – this is me just speculating, but it wouldn't shock me if if they've got a game – basically rolled out, ready to go. And as soon as the name, image, and likeness stuff gets passed, and they quickly are able to ink in their their licensing agreements with athletes and universities, they'll roll the game out. They won't call it NCA football. They won't attach themselves to the university, to the, to the body, governing body. They'll just attach themselves to the schools themselves and they'll just call it EA Sports College Football 2022 or whatever, whatever it is. The NCAA won't get the money. The schools will get the money. The athletes will get the money, um, and we'll go from there. But it's certainly – it's exciting because it's back, but at the same time it's like, oh, they're not going to be back quite yet, Um, which means if you are like me, I haven't played in a while, but I'm going to play it starting next week when I get it all set up. I've found my old game, my 2014. I found my Xbox 360. I found the TV that's got the inputs <laughs> to correctly connect to it. Oh my gosh, man! <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, probably play the heck out of that for a little bit. Just get my fix going because I've already got the itch. I want to play again. Um, real quick, let's top five players on Oregon's roster. Like if they were to come out with this game next year, for the 2021 season. If they all of a sudden come out and say. The EA Sports College Football game is back for the 2021 year. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau has to be the highest ranked guy on the team. Yep, and I almost think he's going to be like a like a rating of like a ninety five, ninety six. I was going to say, yeah, he's got to be close to like. Almost- I don't know if he's ninety eight, ninety nine.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I bet if, but if he has a season. Well, I was going to say, if he has a season like he could, then in 2022, but he wouldn't be around in 2022's game. So he would, but like, I, yeah, I agree. I think he's like a 94 to 97 ranking, which is like typically your best player unless you're Alabama.
0: And then after that,
1: it's kind of tough after that. Like, yeah, who, that's what who, I was going to
0: say. It's like the next four guys, like if you were going to say a top five, the next four are pretty hard. Maybe. Noah Sewell being or Mikael Wright maybe being. Pro- your I think
1: I was going to say Mikhail Wright has to be probably your second because he was first team all pack 12 and he's probably like 88 to 92 maybe somewhere in that range, like borderline star guy. Um, offensively, like who's your top guy? Is it? Do they still give it to CJ Verdell as like a mid 80s guy? Is there an offensive lineman they like more?
0: Um, it's not going to be quarterback. Probably not going to be receiver. Um. I would probably say, like, this is where, like, the offense, like, if I was going to grade out the offense on their scores, they probably don't have a single guy that's in the 90s. No. But they have – from, like, every starter is probably 78, 79 to, like, 88, 89. Like, they don't have any really superstar player, but they also don't have really any huge weakness.
1: That's probably fair. That's probably fair. I – I would think like I wouldn't be surprised if like Michael Pittman would be like a sneaky guy who'd have like a really high score just because he's never healthy, but like his intangibles are yeah, really. Yeah, he good.
0: could be like that 91, 92 guy.
1: Maybe, maybe. Yeah. No, it's hard to do this offensively. Like I'm trying to think here. Like obviously quarterback, you're not gonna have anybody above what, 82, maybe? Like it's yeah. not gonna be a very good score for Tyler Shock. Um, running back with Verdell or Die, maybe those guys are maybe it's like Verdell's a 90 and or like an 89 or an 88 and dies like a mid 80, like an 84, 85 kind of thing. And then receiver, like what do you think Johnny Johnson and Jalen Redd are like low 80s, maybe? Maybe like mid 80s for one mid-80s. Of
0: them? I mean they're they're productive, like but they're also not like superstar receivers. So right. like I, I think they're that middle of the of the 80 range where it's like you could make that guy like he's good enough to be in the game where he's from a receiver perspective, he's going to go over 1,500 receiving yards and 20 touchdowns if you throw him the ball majority of the time. But he's also not going to be a guy where it's like a human cheat code. Right, right, where right. Where you just throw the ball up and the guy's automatically going to catch it.
1: Okay, so defensively, KT's obviously like a really high score. I think Mikhail Wright's probably in the 90s. Yeah. My, my guess is you have Verone McKinley or Noah Sewell as your next highest rated guy. Just because McKinley started. A I would do years. Verone.
0: I would do Verone.
1: Maybe he's like a high 80s guy, and yeah. Noah, Noah's like an 86. But he'll when you simulate through your season like I do, he like jumps to a 93 by the next. Yes, season.
0: yes. Okay, here's an exercise. So <laughs> we we say that Oregon's got like 190 guy on their team. Maybe two, two with McKay. I think McKay. Okay, probably. let's okay, let's go with two. Oregon's got two. The way Oregon's recruiting right now. If you were to take this roster in 2021, the video game comes out, the way Oregon's recruiting and developing, by year 2023, are you taking that Oregon has seven guys in the 90s or higher?
1: can um, okay. You take KT and McHale off the roster, but you've got
0: you – got Sewell, Flo, Sewell. Manning, Yeah, Ty on, paper, on, pa-
1: on paper, you got enough guys who could develop that way. And in theory, 2023, you could still have maybe Franklin
0: Thornton Kingsley, Mm
1: -hmm. maybe, maybe a Devin Williams is still around. Maybe like a Mace Funa is still around. And I think Mace is somebody who's probably like, kind of didn't talk about him, but he's probably like a mid eighties right now. But in a couple of years by a senior season, if I assume he plays four, I could see him being like a low nineties guy. Yeah, I could could see them getting to seven. I think right now they have two, maybe three, like, I mean, maybe CJ Verdell is like, like very, like the. He's a 90 maybe just because of his career arc, but it's like, you didn't see it much in 2020, but like based upon what we've seen in the past, it would be interesting to see how, I would think it would be difficult for them to do these sort of rankings right now, given the COVID stuff. Like, I would think there'd be some, it would be more challenging now than maybe ever. Yes.
0: hundred percent. Let's shift to real world stuff here for a second.
1: Really? Dang it. (laughs) Back to this. (laughs) I'm just kidding.
0: Um. And it's kind, of, it's kind of real world. Uh, Grayson Halton, Oregon's four-star defensive end commit in the 2022 class, um, shortly after he gave his verbal commitment, he tweeted this, quote, it was obvious to me Oregon was the choice because a lot of the other schools were talking down on Oregon, and Oregon talked about nothing but Oregon, duck emoji, duck emoji, end quote. And that got me thinking, like, we've talked about this a couple of times on the show that Oregon deals with a lot of negative recruiting. And all of a sudden now we have a a recruit going out there and is mentioning that schools, negative recruited, Oregon, negative recruited, Oregon. I mean, shoot, the last podcast we did on the signing day show, we talked about Cristobal. It took the opportunity to kind of flex a little bit about the stuff that, you know, has been said about Oregon, either, you know, through the media or through recruiting channels with, you know, the other coaches and the other, other programs. And it just got me thinking, like, what are the ludicrous things that schools are saying to recruits at Oregon right now? Like, how are you recruiting against Oregon? Because it's clear they are the Kings right now in the conference from a recruiting perspective and they're winning and on the field too. And when you do that, it's a deadly combination. You really can't, there's really not, like, a an answer. Well, you do this or you, you do that, and that's not good. Like, there really isn't anything right now that you can say that's true about Oregon, right? Like, from a true just negative recruiting standpoint. And it just really got me thinking, like, what are these coaches saying to to the players? Like, early on, it was, hey, these are just a bunch of recruiters. They're not going to win the league. You're not going to get developed. And do you feel like that still happens now? Like, like do you feel like well- – they still have that reputation, even if it's unfair?
1: I could Well, I could see – I was going to say, like, Oregon State and Cal have an argument of, like, hey, we just beat this team that had a lot more talent. Right. Um, and so I could see that coming from the mouths of some of those coaches, but it's not like – I mean, not to disparage those programs, Oregon doesn't lose battles or really even compete for recruits for Oregon State or Cal. Like, maybe Cal sometimes. But right. It's like a kid local to the Northern California area, a Bay Area kid. But, like, it's not like that's really where they're – they're, they're going to win or lose their recruiting classes. And like, I would imagine that the schools that are kind of talking the most smack are probably the LA schools, Washington and Arizona state. Cause those are the programs that are trying to recruit a lot of the same kids Oregon's going after maybe Utah for some of those Utah area kids, maybe. And like the only thing I could, I mean like, but the reality is I mentioned all those programs I mentioned with the exception of Arizona state, Oregon has handled pretty well the last, several years um obviously arizona state upset oregon down in, in tempe um one of the last true i think that might be is that the last true road game i attended it might be well actually that's not the case okay, so we went to the oregon state game this year but uh i'm just trying to think here because like I, if, if you're arizona state or you're usc or you're washington are, are, are you saying well you know they they can't beat oregon state and they can't beat cal and they have a lot more talent but it's like to me, I'd respond with like, well, but you can't beat them. E-. Like what, is, what does that say about you? Cause it's not like those schools can beat Oregon either. And I'm sure Washington is, is Washington bringing up the fact that uh, Oregon stole the division from them this year? Is that, is that, is that, is that, that is has that, to be, is that, is that something Washington's coaches are saying? Cause if like, that's
0: <laughs> well, Remember ridiculous. we really won the conference. The only reason we didn't play in <laughs> Oregon one is because we couldn't play in the Pac-12 championship game. So really they're not Pac-12 champions.
1: Yeah, we also didn't play Oregon either this year, and we lost the last two. <laughs> and it's a... no, I, I, I don't, I like, I, so, like, if that could be the angle, like, it, I can't really think of, like, I mean, because the thing that other fan bases will use is like the Nike U thing. I would think that would be a really p- terrible angle for negative recruiting. Cause so you're saying, this school oh, they has. they got great, better gear. <laughs> yeah, they better gear, and they have great connections to Nike. Where it's a known fact that former Oregon players, like a bunch of different student athletes, are getting jobs at Nike after school. What a terrible setup that is! You don't want that, do you? Like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. Um, like, and from a player development perspective, like, and maybe, maybe that's the area. But like, then you go, well, what about Justin Herbert, who just had the best like rookie quarterback season in NFL history? Um, and they haven't, I mean, you, you could make somewhat of an argument of like, there are certain position groups. Oregon hasn't developed great NFL talent. Like they've had a lot of defensive backs in the NFL They've had, obviously a lot of quarterbacks. Um, they've had some linebackers and defensive linemen, but they've struggled with like wide receivers and, and running, backs running backs to a certain extent off offensive line tight end. They've had guys. So like maybe if you're a receiver or running back, you're saying, well, we develop them better than Oregon does. And you probably could have like some argument there, but I always find that to be just really kind of an unfair argument anyway of like this obviously wouldn't apply to Grayson Halton because he plays defensive line but like <clears throat> the argument of like well Marshawn Lynch went here or you know re- we had Reggie Bush and whatever USC running backs went here it's like yeah but part of that is that you guys had these incredible talents that came through and it's not to say that Oregon like Oregon's turned its incredible talent into NFL players I think at a pretty high clip like if you look at, I was just look. I mean, I was just looking at the top running backs this week for a story on where the current guys stack up and like with the exception of Thomas Tyner and like Seastrunk, all those guys went on to have NFL careers of some sort and those guys' careers didn't pan out for reasons that weren't Oregon's fault. Like Tyner, Tyner had to retire and Seastrunk had the NCAA breathing down his neck and then transferred to Baylor where. I think he said he was going to win the Heisman, I think. And then, yes, did <laughs> not. And then <laughs> did not make it to the NFL. I don't think for more than a second. So like, I, I, I don't know. I think these things kind of ring, ring hollow in, as my perspective, but I'm not surprised. Like are, we're not surprised that other schools are negatively recruiting Oregon. Like, what are you supposed to do to combat Oregon right now? Because the fact is they have the recruiting staff that is the most aggressive, arguably the most connected, and they are winning on the field more so than any team in the conference. And like, the fact is, like just from a brand perspective, like Oregon is the big dog. Like you drive around the country, and I mean, not that I've done this recently because we've been <laughs> locked at home, but I last year I went down to the Bay Area for um, for something, and and there were I saw more Oregon, you know, green Oregon sweatshirts, than I saw USC or UCLA or or Cal or Stanford for that matter. So like I think from a brand perspective, like Oregon's tough to compete with too.
0: And from a Grayson Halton perspective, the schools that were recruiting against him and negatively recruiting about Oregon, like while Joe Salavea and Mario Cristobal and now the defense coordinator Tim DeRuter, while they didn't have a hand in developing these guys, they're still tied to the program. And since 2013, Oregon's had three first round draft picks along the defensive line. Two of them being top ten players. Deion Jordan being number three in 2013. DeForest Buckner being uh, I think five or four in 2007 in the 2017 NFL draft. And then Eric Armstead was 17th in the 2015 draft. And so I look at the or Buckner was 16, Armstead no. was 15. Um, it, Oregon's starting to develop like you said in some areas like they're putting dudes into the league at a high level and now it's just like if you're negative recruiting Oregon they've won the league twice with a coaching staff that at the beginning of the year or beginning of the tenure you were saying couldn't develop players and now it's almost like you're contradicting yourself a little bit and you're just digging. It almost feels like these schools are just digging bigger and bigger holes. And if I'm Mario Crystal, I'm like, yeah, keep doing this. Keep, keep saying all this stuff because we keep winning and we keep recruiting at a high level and you're making our job even easier by just negatively talking about us nonstop. And we don't even have to talk about you.
1: I mean, what is you? What is USC in Washington? Really have to say about Oregon from an on field perspective, other than they haven't been able to beat the Ducks the last two years and that they've lost conference championships and division championships to Oregon. Like, and there's on, from an on field perspective, which ultimately is all that matters, like Oregon's running laps around those, those programs right now. And I know the games with Washington have both been pretty close. And, and then, of course, um, the game with USC this year was semi close, pretty close. Like, USC could have had a chance late. But the year before that, Oregon won what it was like 56 24 down there. Um, like, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what your angle for negative recruiting is, and I will also put it this way: I think if you're you, you, I think you prefer, as somebody who supports a, fa- a a program, to hear a recruit say that the the school you support isn't negatively recruiting. And I, yes. think, I think I'm sure fans, Oregon fans, appreciate seeing Grayson Halton tweet that Oregon is not doing that because I think it comes across as kind of like as weak and kind of as a little petty. And like, I mean, I you know, we 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 all have friends out there that talk crap behind each other's backs and stuff like that and I think you always kind of are like well that's like pretty insecure or like kind of strange that you go about doing things that way and uh and and I think that's sort of what that I think it just reeks of being kind of insecure and knowing you can't beat them head to head so you've got to find some weird way to manipulate the situation I guess for for for, with teenagers which is pretty kind of slimy if you ask me
0: All right, let's move to a 2021 class that's been signed in now. Um, Best class in school history. We talked about that on the previous episode when we broke things down there. But it really feels like – I'm going to say this a couple times now, but it really feels like this class has multiple waves of impact. There's going to be guys that they're going to need for – three years to really develop to start playing and they won't, they won't play until like the 2024 season and see significant action or become starters. But when they do, they'll be pretty good. they will be guys that maybe they, they get their first crack in 2022 and then they're starters in 2023 and you know, that second wave, if you will. And then the first wave of these are guys that are going to play right away. And I don't know if it's necessarily become instant superstars or instant starters, but just guys that I feel extremely confident about that they're going to play. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're the five best players in this class. Like Ty Thompson, I think he might be the best player in this recruiting class. I don't think he's someone that I can definitively say will play right away as a key guy, meaning starter for Oregon in 2021. Like he could, he might, but I think there's probably a better chance that he's a backup and he gets in, in seven or eight games in 2021, or maybe assumes the starting job, you know, the last half of the season or something than it is. He, he steps on the field and is the day one starter. So like, I think Kingsley, Salamatia for me is the most obvious choice to be the guy that plays right away. Um, I think Oregon's offensive line while they bring everybody back. I think they have some they, they rotated a, a ton. And I don't think there's a lot of guys on that unit that are squarely entrenched as definitive starters. And I think at tackle, that's incredibly apparent. And I think he I think he's good enough to show up right away and push himself into that lineup um and and play. I also think I'm going to cheat and combine Ty Thompson and Troy Franklin. I think one of them, or or, excuse me, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton. Right. um, I think one of those two receivers will play probably won't start, but I think one of those two guys kinds of asserts himself into that top four or five group of the receiver room. And then here's a couple other names that I think are going to make this list as guys that play right away. Um, Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies, those those two are three and four for me. Two cornerbacks that are going to play a ton of football, I think, right away. I don't think either of them starts, but I think both guys are going to be thrust onto that field relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also going to stick with uh, the offensive side of the football, and I'm going to pick um, Maliki Matavo, the tight end from Liberty High School in Henderson, Nevada. I just I don't know what to think. At the tight end spot going into 2021. And so I I'm thinking Oregon sees one of these freshman tight ends, ends up having to play significant reps. Maybe not a starter. It's probably gonna be a DJ Johnson or Spencer Webb, but they use three they use three tight ends considerably, you know, throughout the year. I think one of those guys will will push his way into that that group as well.
1: Matt, I thought we were rotating, you just took all my guys. Now it looks like I'm copying you. for a lot of the same logic. Here's who I, the five I had written down and and I didn't have them really in any order. I just did offense, defense. So offensively I have Maliki, Matabaho cuz I, I I for the same reason you just, logic, you just uh, communicated there if like there's going to be playing time for tight ends, period. Like I think I mean I would be really surprised if between Matabaho or Terence Ferguson one of them doesn't play and I think Matabaho is like immediately a little bit more physically ready for that. Um I didn't I picked Dante Thornton, rather than going Troy Flanagan, I think I've just, in in the past, I think I've said Thornton's the guy I think is a little bit more immediately available or or prepared to play. So I went that route. Um, Kingsley as well. I didn't include Ty Thompson here, and maybe that's a a mistake. But I think think there's a chance he doesn't play that much right away. But I also feel like maybe I'm really overlooking his talent. And maybe I will have egg on my face really soon, because Cristobal was really high on him when I asked just a couple of days ago about his chances of, of competing, at least for a starting job this year. And then my two defensive players are both defensive backs just because, and as you said, cornerback is going to need some players immediately. And they went out and signed three corners. I have two on here. One is Avante Dickerson. The other is Darren Barkins. And I just kind of was um, more, more, more certainly I think it's kind of just throwing a dart at a dartboard here, but figuring that one of these, one or two of these young corners is, I agree with Matt, probably not starting because I think he got Mikhail Wright at one spot, and then the other spots, DJ James or, or probably Dante, Manning. Maybe tri- Triquez Bridges has been around for a minute. Maybe he competes there. Um, I know like Brian Addison moved over from offense to defense, but I think he's playing more safety than, than corner. But like I got to think that between Dickerson, Barkins, and Davies, one or two of those guys, maybe probably both. I'm, I'm saying both. Two of those guys end up being... Players that are contributing pretty quickly in the two deep, and maybe they're not starting the season as starters, and maybe they don't like earn a starting job, but they get a couple spot starts from you know a targeting call that forces one of the corners out of the game, or from an injury knock on wood. We don't want that, but I I just think there's a a, the high likelihood that that position group corner is the position group that's I think I would say the least clear on the entire team of like what exactly the depth chart is after the top guy. And like, I know quarterback is even more jumbled, but that isn't a position group that you've got one guy that typically plays there. And if you've got two, like we saw this last year, you've got an issue like cornerback. You're going to play at least four of them all pretty much every game. You know, maybe you'll play a fifth at times, depending on how things go, but like, it's not a situation where you feel good. If you've got, okay, we've got one good corner. We're set. Now you need to have like three to four of them, or you're going to be in trouble. And I just think between Dickerson and Barkin's, um, I think both of those guys are, are candidates to be to be guys that play sooner than later and fill in. I don't know if it's starters, but certainly in that in that depth chart, that too
0: deep. Is it safe to say, like, while this class is loaded, I have a hard time thinking more than like 12 guys are going to play right away next year. That feels like to me, like the number like 12. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, the, you just look at the positions like there is a lot of there's a ton of depth at wide receiver. There's a ton of depth along the offensive line and I I I think we both agree that like that doesn't the offensive line's a position group you have got a lot of bodies returning, but it's not like a real clear cut like hey, they've got a, they got two Penny Sewells at tackle. Like no, it's they they've got a bunch of guys who played a lot at tackle but like no one's really proven to be a superstar there yet. So that's where it opens the door for Kingsley and why we think he could play. But I don't expect to see Jackson Light play. I don't expect to see Bram Walden or Jonah Miller play. Um, I think a receiver like that's why I think like Thornton or Franklin like one of them maybe two maybe both of them are just so good that they have to play a little bit but like I have a hard time seeing I mean Oregon returns all their top receivers and and it was a position group where a bunch of talented guys literally didn't play some of them transferred some of them are moving positions so like I have a hard time there running backs the same thing it's like you know you run through the list here and it's just like there's not a lot of position groups where you go like wow there's a huge need for players immediately, with the exception of cornerback, um, and which is why I think like because even if you go at safety, where Oregon signed a couple of really good safeties, like you got Varone McKinley at one spot, and then the other spot is is well, and you got your nickel splashed. I think it's the star position now in um defense, and that's going to be Jamal Hill. I think your other safety is going to be probably. Jordan Happel, Bennett Williams, Steve Stevens, one of those three guys. And I'd just be stunned if one of the new guys plays like very much. And I feel that way about linebacker. And certainly I feel that way about defensive line, considering you only have Keanu Williams in, you know, and if they do land JTT, he, he increases your number, but yeah, I'm with you, Matt. Like I just look at the team and think, this still remains a young team and they didn't lose really much of anything because of the NCAA extending the, that, that year. Like the ability for, or the, I guess opportunity for immediate playing time for some of these young guys would be a lot different if, you know, Johnny Johnson, Jalen red George Moore, Anthony Brown, um, those kind of guys didn't get their extra year. I think that would change the makeup and the possibility, especially at receiver. I think we'd be like for sure. Franklin and Thornton are both going to be guys that play a pretty decent amount, but with two guys back, like, that's a ton of snaps that those guys are are suddenly not going to have an opportunity to, to grab, I think.
0: it's gonna do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles Podcast. Thank you for listening to today's show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Make sure to give us a review. Also, make sure to subscribe to duckterritory.com. You can do that by getting one dollar off for your first month and then 995 thereafter that. Until we talk to you on Monday looking at the receiver position following the 2020 season and going into 2021. We'll talk to you later. You're listening to the Aughts and Audibles podcast.
1: Talk to you later, folks.